1: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I am Chris Stemp, and you are in for a treat. You see what I did right there? So I got a question. Are you a night owl or an early bird? It's pretty clear cut. We all know we're one or the other, and usually our partner is the opposite. But what is it that makes us so strongly one or the other? For example, when I wake up before 9 o'clock, why do I hate my life? But come 10pm, and my wife turns into a pumpkin. So I started to wonder, is it genetic? Or is it environmental? Is it because I'm on the computer more and up late? Is it because I just am lazy? I've often wondered these things, and I'm sure you have too. Plus, there's a lot of science out there behind sleep, and I just don't know what I can trust. So I did what I normally do, and I went straight to the source. It took me halfway around the world to Munich, Germany, where I found our guest this week, Till Ronneberg. Till is a professor of chronobiology at the Institute of Medical Psychology at Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich, Germany. Wow, that was a mouthful. Till is also the author of Internal Time, Chronotypes, Social Jet Lag, and Why You're So Tired. He is often considered the foremost authority on chronobiology, which is simply the field of biology that examines periodic cyclic phenomena in living organisms and their adaptation to solar and lunar-related rhythms. Piece of cake, right? I don't know. That's straight from Wikipedia. Basically, all living things operate off of rhythms, whether they tie their rhythm to the sun, the moon, circadian. It's what makes us tick. It's what gets us up. It's how our body knows when to produce certain hormones, and it's much more relevant to our overall health than we ever gave credit, as Till goes on to explain. In this episode, we cover everything from, does wearing orange glasses at night really work? Can you change your circadian rhythm? Can you wake up earlier if you'd like, or stay up later? What about those unfortunate souls like myself that need nine hours of sleep a night to feel good? Are we just doomed forever, and what's it mean? In the modern world where sleep is so important and we're all too tired, this is a can't-miss episode. Please share it with your friends. Head on over to Twitter. We are at smartpeoplepod, and go ahead and add Till in there. He is at Till Rowan. That's T-I-L-L-R-O-E-N. You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Make sure to sign up for the newsletter. That's where we give updates, tell inside information, funny jokes, things we learned all that good stuff. You don't want to miss that. All right, here it is, our interview with Till Roneberg. Till, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I know it's been a while in the making, but I've just really been looking forward to learning about sleep and why I'm always
2: so tired. I hope you'll not only learn, but also learn some some ways of how to be less tired. Me too. First, let's talk about chronobiology.
1: Because as I mentioned before we started talking, I'm fairly obsessed with sleep, and that was a phrase that I had never come across. I mean, I'm familiar with kind of circadian rhythm, but as as a science, chronobiology, I didn't know much about it, so and that's where your expertise is, correct?
2: That's where my expertise was for the last 40 years, so almost 50 years.
1: So could you tell us about what that means for those of us that don't know?
2: Oh, it's very simple. I mean, the word means the biology of time, but of course it's not the biology of time um, because it is a biology of temporal spaces, and there are four temporal spaces on Earth that may be, Relevant for the organisms, and those four are the tides with their twelve and a half hour rhythm um, the day with its twenty four hour rhythm, the lunar cycle with its twenty eight day rhythm um, uh, approximately and then the um, the annual rhythm the yearly rhythm with its three hundred sixty five days and and some and, and a quarter. Um these times are not really for the biological organisms and they're not times they're spaces meaning that they repeat each other and it's one of the few um areas in biology where biology can predict if I would bet with you the six numbers that would come out in 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 the lottery um you you would certainly win uh, because I have no way of predicting it. But if I would bet with you that the sun would rise tomorrow at a certain time, that the tide, that high tide would be tomorrow at a certain time, you would not even make the bet because you know that is so highly predictable that it can be predicted. And although it's in the future, it isn't really the future because it's a temporal structure that repeats itself and therefore becomes almost like the space around us, only that it's a temporal space. Hmm. And since things change over the course of the day, things change, things, since things change over the course of a tidal rhythm, or any other of those four rhythms, we can, um, we can anticipate those changes and appropriately anticipate the changes that we have to make um, to, to, to work optimally.
1: When you put it like that, I mean, it makes it easier to understand why rhythms can play such an important role in our lives because they've been here long before us. They'll be here long after us. And they're actually, you know, when you put it like that, they're, they're much more telling than, than time itself because time in the way we look at it is a man-made construct,
2: right? At that, I don't know. Um, um, the way we look at time is certainly man-made. We, and the way we measure time is man-made. So the units are almost arbitrary, although we, we have our units, um, um, adjusted to a day length mm, so sure. that we have 24 hours in a day. We don't actually have a very good sense how to measure time in our brains. We use incidents and events to estimate time, but um, time itself cannot be measured. Whereas uh, the circadian system, as an example of the four chronobiological clocks that we know of, um, can, can create a day within. And that day within can be synchronized to the external day, and if you have a um, a representation of a space, um, you can become independent. For example, if you close your eyes uh, now, you know the where the door is you came into. You don't. And that's not memory. It's actually a, a space that that your that your brain offers you all the time, and and it's a mental representation of this space. So you can close your eyes or open your eyes. And your brain always will know the specifications of the space. And if you now have an internal representation of um, the day, then um, every cell in your body will have that internal representation. And all you have to make sure is that this internal representation is synchronized properly to the external one. And then you can use it. You can um, consult your biochemical clock and say, when should I start? gearing up, for example, my photosynthesis machine in order to have it working optimally uh, before the sun rises. Is that what melatonin does? No, melatonin is a hormone. And that hormone um, uh, is probably been used in, in the evolutionary history for many different things, maybe even for the immune system. Um, but what it does now, and that's only a part of its task, is to tell the body when the na- when there's night. Your liver cell has a circadian clock, but it doesn't know wh- when when the night is or when the day is because only the eyes can look out into the um, uh, light environment. And the, and the, the eyes or the, the parts of the brain that are directly connected to those um, um, light sensors know when there's day and night. But a liver cell just needs a clock just as much as every other cell, and it doesn't know when light is and when darkness is and therefore you have an internal reference and that is melatonin and other uh, signals uh, that tell the cells it's night now or it's day. Well you know the reason one of the reasons I love
1: having people such as yourself on the show is because I read so many different things about sleep and so specifically talking about melatonin and what you're what you're discussing about our eyes seeing light and and telling the rest of our body you know, there's there's been a lot in the news about how screens, specifically blue light, can mess that up and really throw us off. So I'd love to hear straight from the guy who probably knows more than anyone else in the world on this. How much truth is there to that? How much does it actually affect us? And does that mean we need to stop all incoming artificial lights at sunset?
2: Well, it depends on what you want. First of all, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant if, if, if somebody tells me something is true um, because that would mean that if it's really true that we would never be proven wrong. And I anticipate in a 50 to 100 years that most of my colleagues then will show that we are or were um, uh, wrong in, in most of the stuff that we thought. So let's not talk about truth um, let's talk about what we think we know about the screens uh, it is it is true and I'm reverting to truth mm-hmm. uh, that blue light is the most effective light that can adjust our clocks now why is that that is because there are uh, there are special receptors um, which are called melanopsin and uh, they are have their maximum um, peak absorbance in the blue light and not in the red light. And since they serve the circadian system, the circadian clock, with information, um, the circadian clock is most adjustable by bluish light and not as adjustable by reddish light. And that is why it would be good, because that's sort of the way that the uh, circadian clock um, adjusted to the environment over the long course of evolution to have darkness once the sun sets and to have very bright light um, during the day. Now, in industrialized settings, we don't have that anymore because you are sitting in a, in, in a, in a cave almost. I don't see many windows in, in the room you're, you're recording this in.
1: Right, just one.
2: And um, so it looks like almost a basement. Um, the, the, the light you're getting in, um, and it must be, what, noon? Yep. almost Yeah, it's noon, yeah. Yeah, but it's not noon, because it's only 11 o'clock, really, by the by the light. Oh, right. Uh, because we are cheating uh, us with the daylight savings time, and it's not noon yet, it's only 11 o'clock. So in an hour, you will have sort of a maximum intensity outside. But you will have very little of that in the room you're sitting in. So throughout the day you won't get more than between 100 to 400 lux. On a rainy day, if you were outside, you would get 10,000 lux. If you were outside without a roof above your head, on a day without any clouds, you would get get 100 to 150,000 lux. So there's huge differences. Wow. Um, We don't notice these because we have a vision that is trying to make sense of our spatial environment. And this vision works on contrast. Is this spot in the picture darker than the spot next to it? And this comparison works um, with relatively dim light as well as it works with very bright light. And therefore, you don't notice it because you're a diurnal, day active animal with, uh, who, which uses or who uses um, uh, its eyes to see the world and therefore you're using contrast. You do not notice how little light you effectively get throughout the day. Um, On top of that, what we do is um, we switch on lights after sunset. And these lights are, again, pretty dim compared to what what the sunlight gives us during the day, but they are much brighter what the night would give us without sun, um, after sunset. And they are not much dimmer than what we have been exposed to all day when we were in buildings. So what we are giving to our clock, which needs light and darkness to be properly adjusted to the 24-hour rhythm, we're giving it a very, very weak signal with almost no intensity during the day and almost similarly bright intensity during the night. And that messes up a lot of things. And if you... Work with an iPad or any other um, handheld; those screens will emit a lot of bluish light, and men, most teenagers, for example, even if they have small handhelds, will will hold them so near to their li- to their eyes that they will be real big light sources, lamps to their brain. And light in the evening makes our circadian clock later. And only light in the morning makes our circadian clock earlier. So the usage of a highly blue-emitting device in the evening will make our circadian clock even later, as it already is. Because if we live in very weak signal conditions, as I've just described, with uh, very little light during the day and much too much light during the night, our clocks already compared to our ancestors are much later or at least the clocks of 95% of the population
1: wow so i have so many questions on that my my first is how you mentioned that like our artificial lights how much lower they are even the brightest lights than stepping outside so is it then fair to say because i've been thinking about this oh in my room i want to then put a ton of bright lights to really try to control my circadian rhythm because I tend to be a night owl. So I want to, I want to change that. I want to cheat the system because I have to work indoors. Is that a futile attempt? I mean, can we actually create our, our environment in our house or in our office that mimics the, the amount of light we get outside?
2: Um, no, and it would be the wrong approach because you would need even more nuclear power plants than we want (laughs) <laughs> and your carbon footprint would, uh, would explode. If every one of us would adjust by pure light fixtures um, uh, their rooms to, to produce 1,000, 2,000, which is still much less, but it will be, would be much more than we get now. If everybody would attempt to get 1,000 lux in their indoor rooms, uh, we would, we, our carbon footprint would skyrocket. Hmm. I think it, it, we should do it the other way around. Of course we cannot. I, I cannot ask you, as somebody who has to have a sort of a soundproof surrounding for making these interviews mm-hmm. and, and give, giving high-quality podcasts out to the world, I can't ask you to do this outside because right. you would get a lot of birds into your <laughs> um, a recording Maybe it wouldn't be that bad, but um, if you have a motorcycle coming by and you you can't hear what I'm saying or vice versa, um, that would be rather Mm off-putting. But um, you could do something which we all really don't do, and that is you could say, okay, I can't give myself a lot of light during the day, but why don't I do something which is much more energy-conserving and much more natural, and that is stop giving myself so much blue light after sunset now one way of doing that is to have dynamic lighting and dynamic lighting means that the lighting system knows when the sun sets at different times of year for example and then it just dynamically takes all the blue parts of the spectrum out of the lighting and then you have sort of candle like lighting but you still can be uh, awake and, and move around If you have um, digital monitors, you can get programs like F.Lux, which do exactly the same thing. They take um, the the blue portion out of the screen lighting uh, and they know when the sun sets because every computer knows where it is. And therefore, one can predict now the sun sets at this location and then those programs take um, the blue portion out of, out of the screens. So one could go on living a normal modern life with computers, televisions, and so forth, and still become much earlier if one would really be disciplined in not being exposed to any um, uh, bright blue light after sunset and before sunrise. That would increase the contrast between your probably quite dim light during the day, um, and the much dimmer light during the night, that contrast would be rescued. Um, going outside in between two recordings, in, in your case, would help. Um, I, you've just told me that you have a young baby. Mm-hmm. Going for a walk with that young baby um, in a pram, which makes them sleep very well, would also be very beneficial for their circadian cough. And So going outside during the day whenever you can, having meals outside whenever you can, planning your sessions whenever you can outside, and and at the same time making your nights after sunset reddish and not bluish would already make you much earlier.
1: So that's really interesting because now what you explained to me – and I know you said it earlier, but that was kind of really clear to me – is that it's not – entirely that we need more sunlight we just need a contrast that's based on the the sun you know i guess the light dark rhythm that's yeah. that's more important than the amount of sun we actually get
2: yes okay. and of course it, you know you know that the the light we give ourselves after sunset is not very bright mm-hmm. and 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 if you were a farmer the brain of that farmer or the clock of that farmer would say oh that's nothing it's night uh, because this farmer was exposed to ten to hundred thousand lux throughout the, uh, throughout his or her day, um, and you are exposed to one hundred to four hundred lux um, throughout the day, so fifty lux um, of a bedside lamp would be a very poor contrast. So wow. you have to reduce that. If you can't increase the daylight contrast, you have to reduce the night contrast. Doing both, of course, gives you that gives you an even stronger signal.
1: All right, I need to interrupt you here real quick for a break from our fantastic sponsor, Lynda.com. Lynda.com is the online learning platform with over three thousand on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free ten-day trial—that's free—visit Lynda.com/smartpeople. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com/smartpeople. Lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, or boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com slash smart people and feed that curious mind. Now that I'm on a productivity kick, there's a few courses I recommend, such as Going Paperless Start to Finish, Getting Things Done, or Bootstrapping Your Business. With a lynda.com membership, you can download tutorials and watch them on the go, stream thousands of video courses on demand, and learn at your own pace. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something new, I'd like you to visit lynda.com slash and sign up for your free, remember that's free, 10 day trial that's slash smart people now back to the show that's fascinating I never knew it was based on the contrast I thought it was simply that natural light from the sun does one thing and then almost complete darkness does another but even that example you gave about the farmer right they're out all day so they could receive greater lights they could receive a thousand Lux indoors. And still, to them, be, their body might think, okay, this is nighttime.
2: Uh, if they would receive a 1,000 lux, they would make their contrast signal weaker, and most of them would become a bit later, mm-hmm. but not as late as we are, because their contrast would still be uh, very strong.
1: Now, last question on this specifically, I recently bought some orange glasses for this purpose. Mm-hmm. Is, did that, does that actually work? I mean, these glasses were like $8, and they just seemed to tint everything.
2: Uh, it works, but um, who wants to walk around with the orange glasses? My, my wife laughs at me. It's It looks ridiculous. <laughs> so why do you need orange glasses? Well, one of where, the things where, is... When would you wear them?
1: So I, I strictly read off of a, a Kindle tablet at night, so I almost can't avoid some kind of light, and so I, I wear them in that environment.
2: Where, where's the customer pressure here? You have to buy... Stupid glasses, because Kindle doesn 't make something which uh, which uh, accommodates your biological needs right treasure Kindle
1: I will well and that f Lux, i I definitely recommend everybody use that I use that as well it's fantastic you can still work on your computer just fine, um, and as you mentioned, it adjusts to the, the rhythm of the light.
2: And Michael Hurf, the guy who wrote it and who's, who's doing an enormous amount of research with it, is a lovely person, So, uh, uh, and it's free. So everything is fine with f.lux.
1: Absolutely. Well, I wanted to, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, but all of this is fascinating. What got you into this field, and what is your, your primary goal in this work?
2: Well, uh, that's, a, that's a very complicated question, or a very, no, not, no, it's a very easy question, but it's a complex answer. <laughs> Um, I got into this, um, by, by chance because, um, there is one of the pioneers of this field had an institute very near where my school was and all his children, he had six were in that school. And I was, um, I was friends with all of them and I visited them very often. And when I was 17, I started to work during my holidays in this institute because I was fascinated by this concept of a biological clock. Um, mainly because I never liked boxes um, uh, or disciplines. I always liked questions and a rather broad way of looking at them and answering them. And the circadian question, the clock, biological clock question, allowed me to think on the molecular level, on the societal level, on the psychological level, on the neuronal level, whatever level I wanted to work with, um, I could fit into this question of the biological clock. And therefore, I, I, um, I got hooked. And um, it served me very well because I can, I, over my lifetime of, of a researcher, I've done cellular work with molecules. I've done genetics But I've also done epidemiological work with a lot of people, asking them when and and how they sleep, Uh, but also um, work in in factories where I um, do experiments, what happens if you change shift work schedules um, for individuals who are early or late types. So you could do almost anything with that question, and that's what I always loved about it. Mm -hmm. Um, More recently, I'm getting more and more interested in the question of sleep, because we know a lot about sleep, how it started, how it's initiated in the brain, and how it's maintained in the brain, and so forth. But basically, we don't know anything about sleep. We don't even have a good objective measure for sleep quality. And for the rest of my career, I would like to concentrate on those questions because I think um, both the biological clock and sleep, which shouldn't be separated, they are very much interconnected, are so near to our daily life, that they are so exciting um, to to crack, and somehow science was never really interested in what I call the the important trivial things that surround us, um, but much. Science was much more interested in the more compl- complicated and complex things, and therefore uh, they neglected hmm. trying to answer. The, the trivial questions like, why do we sleep and why do some people wake up early and others late?
1: You took the words out of my mouth. I have a question written down or just a phrase says sleep basics. And it's what I wanted to ask you was, again, given all the information that's out there, there's so much to sift through. And I I think what I've settled on is what you just said, which is we don't know that much about sleep. And it blows my mind given how much time we spend doing it. So for the record, could you could you tell us what do we know and what is all just a guess? And I, I ask that in in this in this vein, when we're reading things online, we don't know what to trust. Who is you know what articles are the kind that just are trying to manipulate us, and which ones are science based?
2: Um, I think uh, I I don't want to go down that road. I think I want to answer your question differently. Okay, sure. Um are, modern science is an extremely mechanistic science, and that's that has good sides but also bad sides. Um, the good sides uh, are that we begin to understand how things work um, but we are losing track of why things work that way because that's that's sort of more fuzzy. Um, it cannot be answered so objectively as as the experimental work that goes towards how things work. We have advanced enormously on the science of how sleep comes about, what sleep in the brain looks like, um, uh, how people develop sleep problems, um, what genetic differences there are between short sleepers and long sleepers. But we completely lack many of the, again, the trivial questions. One of the most trivial questions is, what is the function of sleep? And nobody can really answer that question properly. There's no consensus amongst the many scientists that look at sleep or even amongst those who don't look at sleep because they just as well can put up a hypothesis of what, why we sleep or the function of sleep. Anybody can. But there's no consensus. So what I'm trying now is to go back and make it really trivial. And um I, st- I always when, when I, I'm confronted with a problem, I'm trying to sort of go into the basement of the of, of the um, building of thought and, I, and ask myself, "What is the most basic function of sleep?" And then I come up with an answer which sounds utterly trivial, and that is the function of sleep is to prevent malfunction during wake. We are obsessed with sleep per se, but sleep has no meaning if it's not contrasted in what it does for our wake time. It certainly isn't a waste of time, otherwise, we wouldn't have developed something like sleep. It is adding to our wakefulness, and therefore, I have to judge it by wakefulness. And the quality of a sleep can only be judged uh, in a host of different uh, ways that go from did I have a scratchy throat before I fell asleep and did I develop a cold overnight or is it fine again after I have slept to just mention the immune function or how many lapses of 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 words um, in my speech did I have today how slow I was in, in arithmetics and counting um, how many mistakes have I made in in some stupid little movement that I should be able to do? Um, how absent-minded was I? How good was my recollection of things I saw? And, 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 and. All these things have to be taken into account before I can even judge whether sleep was good or not. And after that once i 've discovered it, then I have to look at features of sleep and say what features of of this sleep of this night um, uh would be would predict that the wakefulness was optimal and we haven 't done any of these things, and i 'm now trying to plan or not trying to plan i 'm trying to get money to to uh, implement a plan, and that is um, uh, to do something which we've done with questionnaires, and that is asking the world to give us data and investigate sleep uh, o- across the globe from uh, thousands of people who record their activity because what we've done is we've developed a system where that can pull sleep structure out of a normal activity recording. And now I'm hoping to get money to to build a platform where people can upload their activity recordings and many people record their activity already and then if they do so they give us something namely their activity recordings which we will use for their science but we will give a lot of things back to them like the most up-to-date validated scientific analysis of their behavior sleep and weight behavior so that they can see how well they are equipped to having a a good life with their activity and their and their sleep. How do they compare to other people and so forth? So um, we are trying to trade data across the world against giving back analyses. Wait, Kickstarter. You got to do a Kickstarter campaign. Yes, well we will, but we have to build the platform first, and that platform uh, doesn't build <laughs> itself with no money. True,
1: because so when you this is. Amazing. And, and because here's why a couple of things. So I have what's called a ZEO. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, of course. I know the
2: ZEO. They've just gone broke.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, first thing I want to ask how um, true, I guess, do you think that data is? How much can I trust it?
2: Well, ZEO had been not quite good in judging, uh, judging um, whether you felt fallen into a REM sleep or whether you were still awake, as I remember. Okay. But otherwise, um, they were quite good. But I think um, that we can get almost as much information from just pure wrist ectometry. Um And that, of course, would mean that you could sleep without um, a stupid thing on your head. But you really think we can get that off the wrist? Yeah, I think so. We've just looked at it in sleep, in, in real uh, uh, polysomnographic studies, and it's and, and really good.
1: How did they do that? Because the reason I got
2: the Zio, I was... What's that? I'm not going to tell you how we do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay don't tell us um let me think about this ah there's no way around that question
2: i guess because i just figured no, it's going to be published sometime this year
1: okay how, but how we do this but you can do it without brainwaves is is at least yes, what you're saying yes okay. absolutely okay so i cannot wait to hear that so then my next thing was i mean i would gladly and i know thousands hundreds of thousand people who who do this and would gladly give you that data if
2: you would oh. tell them what it means of course. And and, and, imagine the, and imagine the power of a transparent, truthful, academic website that tells you this part of the analysis of your sleep and wake structure is solid. It's, gonna, it's been validated. This part is more speculative. We're still working on it. But your data will make it more and more valid every day. And um, uh, uh, it's completely transparent. The methods we 're going to use are going to be if they're not published they're going to be polished and then published, and once they're published, you as a user of that platform will have access to the validated um, and published methods that we use so it's completely transparent, unlike most of the um, commercial Um, people who tell you by us and then will tell you how you sleep they do not tell you how they do this they don't even tell you that they are collecting your data and making science doing science with it whereas we do that right up front Mm -hmm. and so we are going to be a very very popular website and that very very popular website can put pressure on what is developing at the moment, namely that a company sells you something which you measure, um, which, which you use to measure your own physiology, and then you are not even allowed to get the raw data of your physiology. Most companies don't give you access to the raw data, right. which you would need to upload it to our website. Oh. To get the proper, um, proper validate, validated feedback on your activity.
1: Well, is there anything that our listeners myself can do now or do we have to wait until that's created to kind of help move this along
2: well i think that if they would put pressure on on those who have activity gadgets Mm -hmm. would put pressure on on the uh, manufacturers that they want access to their raw data Um, otherwise they would buy something else that gives them access to their raw data sure, that sure. would already pave the way until we have um, the platform running
1: okay fantastic and while we're on this subject uh, can you give us or I don't know maybe it's against what you're working on but the best thing out there right now that we can use to to track our sleep because I would I'll go buy it today
2: um I don't think it exists because most of the most of the stuff that commercially gives you feedback on your sleep they don't disclose how they do it hmm. Um if you send your data to me i would say we are the best who who, who can give you feedback on your sleep
1: wow at the wow. moment so well, so what's confusing about that is they 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 might not give you the data. But so, for example, Zio will say, "Oh, you spent this much time in in REM and deep and blah blah blah." Is that not enough data? Oh, Zio,
2: Zio was not bad, but I'm thinking of of all the all the apps and and um, gadgets that you wear around your wrist or you or, or you on, have on your phone where where your movement is tracked, and then they mm. they come come out with with a sleep ju- uh, judgment. Oh. Oh,
1: I see what you're saying. Okay. okay.
2: Zeo, Zeo. I mean, Zeo is a real electrode. Zeo is 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 recording um, um, uh, uh, electric activity in your brain, and therefore it can make re- relative good judgment and guesses about your sleep stages. Okay. Cool. But to be to be honest. What does it help you to know that you've spent so much time in this type of sleep and so much time in another type of sleep? If we don't know, that and was going to be my question. <laughs> what that means for the for the quality of sleep? So we actually don't know, right? No, we uh, wow. don't. Because it's, no, it's 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 not astonishing because all we had to do so far so far was record sleep in a sleep laboratory with a lot of equipment because we didn't know how much information we needed to judge sleep. You cannot judge sleep out of context. If you come to a sleep lab and sleep there for eight hours in a strange bed with electrodes on your head, you will learn a lot about sleep, but you won't learn about sleep in context. And that's why I want to do it without any brainwaves with activity recorders, Um, because I want to know how people sleep and are awake for weeks, so I can play with the data and say, okay, since we don't even know how much sleep somebody needs, right. we, we can calculate how much sleep somebody gets. But is that the right amount this person needs? And there's we know there's an individual difference, a genetic individual difference in how much, how much people, sleep people need. But we cannot tell how much sleep people need. We cannot tell what a good sleep, objectively, what good sleep quality is. And therefore, we can draw maps about um, obesity or about measles or about anything uh, anything pathological uh, over the globe. But we cannot draw maps about sleep. We can only draw maps about sleep duration, but that's not enough.
0: And now a word from one of this week's sponsors. We are sponsored once again by Igloo, Thank you so much, Igloo, for supporting Smart People Podcast. Listen up, everyone. You really do need to check out Igloo. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It's a cloud platform that can help you do your best work share files, blog updates, coordinate calendars, and manage projects. Everything you need to do within your team, you can do on Igloo. It's easy to use and easy to configure, even for the most non technical of users. And it's built using responsive design, which means that everything you can do at your desk, you can now do on the go on your phone or tablet. The responsive design is meant to look great on all your devices. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by apps, create an intranet that matches your brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. Check it out today. Chris and I use it for Smart People Podcast. And it's absolutely fantastic to have all our files in one place, all the information that we need. It sits within our own personal intranet. It's amazing not having to rifle through emails or f- files and folders cluttered on different computers. Give Igloo a shot and see what it can do for you. Sign up now and try it out for free at igloosoftware.com smartpeople That's igloosoftware.com smartpeople smart people. Sign up today and invite up to 10 of your favorite co-workers to try it with you. And now, back to the show.
1: It's really good to know, and actually, it's a good lead-in to perhaps one of the things you're best known for, which is the, you might even coin the phrase, social jet lag. And yes, I have. it was one of the ways that I found you, because as I mentioned earlier, and I, I don't want to make this personal, I just know that a lot of people either feel very strongly this way or very strongly the opposite way is uh, two things. One is I'm a night owl uh, and my wife is very much a morning person. And so I, my whole life have been, people have joked me, right? Oh, you're, you're lazy. You sleep too much, all these things. Cause I'll wake up at 10 or in, in, uh, you know, high school, I was exhausted until third period. And after reading your book and learning about what you do, it gave me a sense of that's just kind of who I am. So I want to give you this opportunity to share with so many confused, conflicted people not only what social jet lag is, but what it is to be an individual and have a a different sleep cycle than others.
2: It's very simple. Again, since we have a biological clock um, that controls practically everything in our physiology, it also controls when we sleep um, optimally. We can also sleep quite well if we are exhausted. And that's those are the two things that actually control our sleep. It's the time we were, the the duration we were awake, uh, which makes us more and more exhausted. And a circadian biological clock controlled temporal window. Um, and that window is different in every person because it, every person has a different chronotype. Every person is adjusted to the day-night cycle differently, earlier or later. And it's not just two categories. It's like it's like body height. There are extreme early types, and they're very rare, like, like very short people are very rare. And then there are um, uh, extreme uh, tall people, giants, they're very rare. And there are extreme late types that are also rare. And both in body height and in chronotype, we have the majority somewhere in between. But there is a a very strong individual um, component in when our clocks adjust to the light-dark cycle. And therefore, the optimal window when to sleep are different in every person. Social jet lag is nothing else but measuring what your internal timing system wants you to do optimally, and what the social or external timing system wants you to do um, because you have to do it. You mentioned school or work. We have to be at work at a certain time, and therefore we have to get up at a certain time. But maybe that get-up is before our circadian sleep window has finished. And we have proof for that because, meanwhile, 85% of the population has to use an alarm clock on workdays in order to wake up early enough to get to work. That is, 85% is the population. So it's it's a ridiculous minority that still can um, uh, sleep without an alarm clock in order to be up uh, ready early enough to go to sleep, uh, to go to work.
1: I mean, it infuriates me. <laughs> I have to admit. Because you spend your whole life, or at least I did, you know, trying to adjust to other forces and being constantly tired. And so I guess my, my first question is, can you change that? I would love to be a morning person. I would love to be up with the light uh, early in the morning for a number of reasons, but primarily because I just think
2: you are more productive. You know,
1: I, I'm not that productive at midnight, even though I'm awake. So
2: can you change that? Um very, very uh, difficult to change that. Light, of course, helps. The higher the contrast between the daylight and the night' darkness, the earlier you will be. Ken Wright um, um, uh, from Boulder has, has done a lovely experiment where he took a bunch of high sc- uh, of, of, of university students um, from their normal week. In, in the urban settings and measured their, their internal time or chronotype in the lab very, very immac- immaculately. Um, so he was really sure where, where their internal clock was. And then he took them all camping, um, really out there in the nowheres, um, where there are no towns in, in the vicinity. You, you didn't see any, any light at, at the horizon um, during the night. Uh, you and they—they they were outside all day, and they were uh, only allowed um, uh, the, the bonfire and 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 the candle during the night. And they got what? Which which used the, the the group was quite apart. So there were early types and late types, and they were hours apart in their internal timing. After a week of camping, uh, I think the, ma- the majority of internal timers were within a one-and-a-half to two-hour range. Um, so they were practically all the same. And that is one way to become an early type. The other way is a very expensive one. You you continuously fly west. Um, and I love going to the States because um, from Europe because for a couple of days, I'm a real early bird. And, and um, it, it, it helps you wake up by yourself without an alarm clock and by the time other people get up you've already um managed to do a, a lot of thinking and work and it's it's wonderful and you get to see the sunrise and so forth which you never do when you're a late type and you you stay at home and after a couple of days um that uh, is already gone because my circadian system adjusts to the new light dark cycle and i become the late type i was back in europe mm. so but if you if i would continuously fly west i could could um hold that up but uh to, to increase the contrast and to get to bright light as early as possible makes you a bit earlier. But you have to keep this going for the rest of your life because genetically you're a person that um, who becomes late under the normal industrialized uh, low-contrast um, signal uh, that we give ourselves.
1: I love the way you put that. It's very succinctly, it makes a lot of sense. Especially because I've always wondered how much of a role genetics play. And what you're saying is they play a role in kind of setting it under our current conditions, this industrialized thing. They can be changed, but only if you maintain that. So if you were to wake up every day at six o'clock and run outside and soak up sun, you could then become a morning person, but you're not really changing your genetics, you're just modifying your environment.
2: Yes. I always say so what what does the genetics do? And the answer is, it gives you a position in the distribution of different chronotypes, who all have to be under live under the same conditions. Mm. So, if you have office work, workers who live in the in, in the city centre, you will have a relatively broad distribution of um, early to late types. And if you take two people with their genetics, they have different positions, A and B. Let's say one is very much to the left of the distribution and, and, and B is very much to the right of the distribution. If you take this population now, and as, as Ken Wright did, take them out into the countryside and make them be outside all day and make them not have electric light um, uh, throughout the night, then the distribution will become very narrow. But the, your position, the, the position of person A and the position of person B will still, within that distribution, be where they are and that's the genetics. Right. Light has an enormous effect on your wake up and and uh, fall asleep times. Mm. Um but in comparison to somebody else it's the genetics that will count. Wow. And wow. there's another so there's genetics that uh, that determines when when your internal system is is geared up. Um and there is light and there's another thing and that's age because we throughout the um throughout our lives, go through a transition from being early as children to being very late as teenagers and um, uh, young adults, and from that time on become early again until we die. So there's a huge difference between a, um, uh, a one-year-old and a um, uh, an 80-year-old, those are almost the same, and a 25-year-old. The 25-year-old is, on average, much, much later later than the child and, and the grandfather or mother.
1: You know, I was thinking about that earlier when you were talking about how little we know about sleep and how you're going to be studying it. Can't you derive some answers out of these differences? So, for example, as I mentioned, I have a newborn who sleeps all the time, but he sleeps in chunks, and I've read he's mostly in REM sleep. So can't you make a hypothesis that, okay— Uh, They're learning so much at this stage, they're burning more glucose, they're tiring themselves out more, so they have to sleep more frequently and longer. Therefore, the purpose of sleep is to, you know, and I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but is that one method in which you will try to um, define
2: good sleep? Sleep quality?
1: Yeah, sleep quality. Quality Or sleep purpose? Yeah.
2: 60 to 70% of the purpose of sleep is to service the brain uh, or to learn. Which, or or to forget, or to to uh, to do th- something with our with our virtual world, which, which resides in our brain, and we need that virtual world. And if we are babies, um, this virtual world has to learn an enormous amount. It has to um, still grow. It has to make connections. It has to also undo connections. Actually, it has to do more uh, undo more connections than it has to make connections. But um, it it and it has to rewire. Let's put it this way. And that takes a lot of energy, and therefore babies sleep more. That's that's clear. But that doesn't mean that the purpose of sleep um, uh, later on, or even already in your baby, uh, has also something to do with the immune system. You have to look at it this way. Um, surely, we use the a very plastic network of neurons to to perc- perceive and memorize. And sort of calculate our position in uh, in our world, um, and therefore you have to service this very very plastic, plastic and and active network. Otherwise, you might accumulate a lot of of junk um, and, and and lose control of what's important and what's not important. All these things have to be taken care of, but that doesn't mean. That um, something like oh, no that what that means is that you you probably can only do that by by switching off your consciousness because your consciousness would be very very dependent on this network to work optimally and if you service the network you can't really use it at the same time for for um, creating your your consciousness and therefore evolution has decided that it can do its work best if it makes us unconscious. It goes even a step further. If it, if it starts to, to work on our motor system, it paralyzes us so that we don't hurt ourselves or those that lie next to us. Because if we're trying out a new motor program and we, and the motor program is connected to all the muscles, it cannot just try out the program without you running or, or hitting somebody. And therefore, sleep makes us unconscious and paralyzed. Now, many many other functions that have to be done, and could be done throughout the day, may have evolution over over the course of evolution, and um, decided in quotes because there is in evolution no decisions, to do this in the ni- during the night because it's more convenient since this person has to rest, par- be paralyzed, partially paralyzed, and be unconscious anyhow. So why don't we? Um, uh, compartmentalize in time um, many functions in the body and that's how you get together to understand what sleep is all about. It is, it has developed over over the thousands of years of evolution into something which does it optimally now.
1: Wow. One of the things that we talked about is the genetic basis for what our rhythm is and our window when we go to sleep when we wake up. What about sleep duration? So that's another thing that carries a lot of stigma in today's society. If you can get by on four or five hours of sleep, you are genetically superior to those unlucky souls, again, such as myself, who feel best at nine and ten hours of sleep. First question is, is that something that, again, is genetically passed down? And then second question can I change that because I would really love just one or two extra hours in the
2: day well I think I think that you're having a completely wrong approach here um, um, because if you have a genetic disposition to a nine hour sleep and compare that with somebody else who has a disposition of a four hour sleep uh, why why think that one is better than the other um, you you just Take the surface um, uh, calculation. Uh, One has 20 hours of activity, and I only have whatever. Sure. 17 to 18 hours, or no, no, 15 to 16 hours of activity. And now, put it this way. If you would try to sleep less, how less efficient would you be during the wakefulness you are?
1: I'd be awful. I mean, it's like I am right now with with my newborn.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you wouldn't be as good. How many of the good ideas you had, and you had them as an individual, um, are due to the fact that you actually spent a lot of time asleep? Hmm. And we should stop thinking so flatly that being active is the only thing that matters. And there is a lot of um, accumulating evidence that people who sleep more have a different brain. And are just different to people who sleep less. Um, it's There are very strong people out there and not so strong people out there. And would we say, I want to be as strong as, as, as all the weightlifters are? Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of wanting to be as strong as all the late weightlifters are. Because I'm not a weightlifter. I can do things with my head or with my hands or whatnot so that we must acknowledge the differences in characters, in physiological characters, and live with them and to make the best out of them, and then we will be equally good as somebody who only sleeps four hours.
1: You know, your answer made me just think, perhaps I'm superior to them because I just need to do more thinking. Could
2: very well be. I mean,
1: like it might not be true, but it makes me feel better.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, but there's, we should stop comparing them. And I always say that in the old days we had this comparison of, of the male comparison. Mine is longer than yours, and nowadays we have the the, <laughs> the other the other the flip coin of this comparison. That is, mine is shorter than yours, and it's just as stupid. <laughs> um, and it and, and it's it it refers to the sleep duration. My sleep my sleep is shorter than yours. I love it's, it it's, it's as stupid as the other one.
1: Oh man, that makes me feel so much better. Well, Till, honestly, this has been one of my favorite conversations. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Um, before we go, first of all, the book is internal time, chronotypes, social jet lag, and why you're so tired that I'm going to recommend to everybody. Is there anywhere else that people can follow you, find you, read about you, see what you're doing, support you, any of that?
2: Well, I've just um, I've just uh, opened a Twitter account. Awesome! Be- what, what's because, the handle? Because I I wanted to reach out to the world and let them, for example, know when the platform is. We will ab- probably be able to implement this um, in the next couple of months, and then I need a network so that I can I can tell people this is available now.
1: Absolutely. Well, I uh, will gladly be part of that network. So um, please, I mean, I'll I'll we'll follow you on Twitter. But when it comes out or anytime you have some some news to get out, send it my way. And I'll not only put it on the podcast, which goes out to, you know, 15000, 20000 people, but um, also through our newsletter. I mean, happy to do that.
2: Absolutely. I will use you.
1: Please do. Honestly. Well, till again, anything you need, let me know. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we will uh, talk again in the in the future.
2: I I I had a, I I hadn't noticed that an hour had passed.
1: Oh, that's my that's it the best compliment. Thank you so much. Have a great evening, I believe.
2: I I I believe so. <laughs> it depends on your chronotype. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, Till. Okay. Thank bye. Bye bye.
0: Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Till Ronenberg. Such a fascinating discussion on sleep, what it is, what it means to us, how much we actually need. I know that Chris was super into this because, like he mentioned, he sleeps a lot, or he likes to sleep a lot. And now I'm sure I'm going to have to listen to, oh, see, I told you, now there are signs to back it up. But anyways, remember, you can find Till's book, Internal Time, Chronotypes, Social Jet Lag, and Why You're So Tired, on Amazon and at your local bookstore. And when you purchase it through Amazon, please make sure to use our Amazon link, smartpeoplepodcast.com slash amazon. That gives us a nice little kickback when you make a purchase through that link at no extra cost to you. It truly is the easiest way to support the show. If you're looking for other easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review over there. That helps out the show a lot, gets us new guests and all that great stuff, gets us featured on iTunes, and that's always good for the show. If you didn't catch Till's Twitter handle during the show, it is at Till Rowan at T-I-L-L-R-O-E-N. Shoot Till a message on Twitter and let them know what you think of the conversation. Or you can shoot a message to Chris and I at Smart People Pod. And as always, if you want to reach out on email, it's smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. I always am curious what people are doing while they're listening to the show. So if you could Shoot us an email or message on Twitter. That would be awesome. Just let us know. Were you walking the dog, sitting at home, making dinner? It doesn't really matter. Just let us know. If this is your first time listening to the show, please make sure that you subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher that you have on your phone or device. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks to Igloo for sponsoring this week's episode of Smart People Podcast. Igloo is an intranet you'll actually like. It gives you the flexibility to get your work done how you want, where you want, and on whatever device you want. It's built with easy-to-use apps like file sharing, calendars, social news feeds, and task management. Igloo is the cloud platform that can help you do your best work. Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash and invite up to 10 of your favorite coworkers.